When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. Anthony Sanfilippos here. I am Bob Wankel. And uh, right off the top here, it's it's good to be back. Missed last week. I know that uh, you and your son recorded last Monday, and then we we obviously missed on Friday. It was a uh, it's been a long week, Anthony. I have to tell you, man. Well, God God bless what you had to deal with, man. I, that's that's brutal. I don't, you, I don't know how uh, you do it. And any experience with kidney stones in the past? Uh, and, and no, and nor do I want to have an experience with kidney stones. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, have that experience. I, I just don't want to. I don't want to broach it. I just like. I, I like the fact that it's remained at arm's length for me. Let's keep it that way. I've uh, I've learned a lot this past week. I was in the ER last Monday morning. I was also in the ER again on uh, Wednesday night. And you know, one of the nurses that I saw said, "Well, anytime that that someone tells you that they have a high pain tolerance, in reality, it's it's usually the opposite." And I was thinking to myself a lot last week. I'm like, I usually have a high pain tolerance. Uh, I just, it was unbearable. It was, it was literally unbearable. I, I could not, you can't, you can't escape it either. There's no position of comfort. So it's not like if you, you lay down, you curl yourself up in a ball, you roll around on the floor, you just, you can't get away from it. And the thing that's interesting, and I don't want to get too graphic here because this is not a medical podcast, but People talk about what it must be like to to pass the stone. I don't even care about that. You know, like whatever. It's yeah. the back pain. It's the back pain, man. It is. I've never ever. I didn't know you could experience pain like that. Truly. So, uh, I don't know if it's if it's this is an ongoing situation. Uh, I don't think it's been fully resolved yet. But I'm obviously in a little bit of a better spot right now. So. Here we are. I apologize. My fault that we did not record last week, uh, but we're back here today. And something else that's been kind of painful this past week is, is watching the Phillies play baseball. Yeah. Uh, you know, credit to them for winning two out of three against the Orioles, best team in the American League. Uh, there's something to be said for that. But my God, this weekend in Pittsburgh was a disaster. And frankly, they could have been swept uh, by a team that has waved the white flag. Uh, a team that is a, a quad a lineup uh, a team that trotted out just dreadful starting pitching for the, the duration of the weekend and the Phillies couldn't do much with it Anthony so with all that said uh, I guess uh, how do you sit here on Monday morning and, and take in what was probably one of the worst series of the year for, for the Phillies well we didn't get to we didn't get you and I didn't get to talk about Cleveland last week and that was a pretty bad um, pretty bad series in and of itself yeah. And, and, you know, and I got to experience it firsthand out there in Cleveland. Um, and then this week, it it was almost like it was a uh, a repeat, just kind of the reverse. Right. And in Cleveland, they lost the first two and then pulled one out uh, on Sunday. This one, they win Friday and then lose two games that they absolutely should have won Saturday and Sunday. And, and there's a, a myriad reasons why they should have won these games. But I, I just can't. You know, I just can't wrap my head around, and I know we're going to talk a lot about the manager, and and rightfully so. I just can't wrap my head around Bob, the, the lack of baseball IQ that is on this 2023 version of the Phillies. Because you know they had their moments last year where we would. I remember sitting there saying, "Oh my God, can you believe that they made that error or they made that base running mistake or whatever?" But it just seems to be on the regular this year. And, and, and that's what bothers me more than anything else um, about this team right now. It's a, that it, it is a repeated thing, game in, game out, where you just they just do something stupid 
to cost themselves a game or to put themselves in a position to lose a game. And then sometimes they do pull it out, right? I mean, they, they, they have the ability to pull out some victories here and there, but it's just, it's just befuddling to me that the mistakes that they make like drop, like missing that pop, up lacking communication pop up in Cleveland and they lose one, nothing. And then, Oh, lo and behold, it happens on the other side of the field yesterday when Turner and, and Sosa collide. Like this is basic stuff. And and they just can't get past it. And and it's we can all we're gonna we're gonna blame the manager for certain decisions, and we're gonna get into that shortly. And and we're gonna talk about the trade deadline and how they can improve the team. But my God, if you don't, if you have players who are making the kind of money that these guys are making and are playing at the highest level that these guys are playing at, and they're making the same dumbass mistakes that they're making game in and game out, then what's the then I don't know what the what the elixir is because. There may not be one. This is a this is not a lack of talent. This is a lack of awareness on the field. It's 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 mind-boggling that it can happen this frequently at this level. So there are, I think, three different levels to what we're seeing in terms of the the players on the field right now. you you have the offensive issues, which we can dive into later. You have the defensive shortcomings and then the communication issues on top of it, which is a, a different layer. And then I think one of the other issues that you're starting to see is that bullpen, which has been so good, is has not been as good lately. I would not say that the bullpen is why the Phillies are taking some major step back here, but it's not been exactly locked down. You know, Christopher Sanchez yesterday, five innings, no hits. We'll get to that decision in a minute. We'll talk about why it was made. But you still would think against the Pittsburgh Pirates, 12 outs to go, a multi-run lead, two multi-run leads, the, the combination of Dominguez, Marte, Hoffman, Soto, Kimbrell, like that should be enough to close the door. And certainly the defense was part of the reason that the door wasn't closed. But the, that bullpen has not been great, uh, you know, the last week or two. So he, let's let's get to the, the thing that everybody wants to talk about first, though, which is the manager, is Rob Thompson. And – just to back it up a little bit, last year, obviously, he takes over for Joe Girardi. He can't do any wrong. It's Philly Rob. Philly's going on this magical run. They get to the World Series. They almost win it. Great. Everyone loves Rob Thompson, gets the contract extension, probably should have been manager of the year. He's, he's the most popular guy in town. You fast forward to this year, and it's different because there's expectations. You know, last year, there, there weren't expectations. It was kind of like this team's cooked. I guess we'll just see what happens. Oh, well. This year, it's like, can you get back? Can you win? You you bring in Trey Turner. Can you take that next step, that final step? Can you repeat it? And so when the expectations are changed, I think that the way that the manager is viewed changes with it. And I also think that when we look at managers, we look at coaches, no matter what the sport is, I'll say this, in, in defense of, of the position, when we grow up and we don't get what we want as players or as parents of, of kids, what do we do? We, we blame the coach. Uh, you know, you shouldn't have been in left field. You, shouldn't, you, don't, you don't practice enough out there. That's why you dropped that ball. Well, you know, he had you hitting six tonight. Or, you know, I don't understand why he's playing Kenny over you. Uh, you know, that manager's an idiot. I think the things that we do as parents and, and the things that we experience as kids – growing up I think we're predisposed to always want to blame the manager blame the coach and I think that there it crosses over to a degree as we consume professional sports you can't change the entire roster so when when you don't like what happens or what unfolds late in games or there's a bad base running mistake or there's stupid defensive play or they can't hit home runs ah, it's the hitting coach it's the manager because I think really American culture I think that we are programmed from a very young age to go right there. I, 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 I believe that. Mm -hmm. So now I'm not saying that that's the case across the board. That's not, that's not for everybody. You know, I, I'll tell you, um, I get in the car after a bad game. And my dad would say, what the hell was that? It was always, it was me. And I'm sure a lot of people listen to this say, well, wait a minute. That wasn't how I grew up. And I know that, but I do think that when you see multiple issues, the easiest thing to do is just say, 
it's the manager. And maybe sometimes it is. I mean, you look back to last year and you see removing Joe Girardi from the situation had a, a tangible benefit, a positive impact on the team. We used to have this conversation all the time with Gabe Kapler. Was it Scott Kingery can't hit a baseball? Or is it that, that Gabe Kapler and that staff ruined Scott Kingery? Which is the more likely of, of the, the two causes when you go back and look at that a few years removed. So all of that is to say, I think that this is what we do. We focus our energy a lot on the thing that is the easiest to blame. And in this case, it is easiest to blame Rob Thompson. Now, you might be listening to this and saying, oh, Jesus Christ, like he's been horrible these past couple of weeks. He's been horrible. How could you possibly excuse him? And you wrote last week a defense of Rob Thompson, basically saying it's not really not all his fault, not really his fault. And by the way, he's the right manager for this team. I'm going to push back on that notion a little bit. I, I, I do have some questions about Rob right now. I do. Because I think this past week might have been the worst week I've, I've seen from him since he's, he's taken over. I, th I thought he was dreadful this week. I really did. And I thought he was dreadful in a lot of different ways. Doesn't mean I want him fired. Doesn't mean you need to run him out of the town. But I, I thought Rob was, was bad this week. Uh, so let me get your, your entry point thoughts to this. I, I always have game decisions with managers. I, it doesn't matter who the manager is, where I sit there and go, what the hell are you thinking? I would never do that. Like, I, there's no way I would ever manage the game that way. So I always have issues with, with managers in general, you know, whether it's the Rob Thompson, whether it was Joe Girardi, Gabe Kapler, going back to when I was younger, whoever the manager was, even Charlie Manuel, as beloved as he was, it's like, what the hell are you doing sometimes, Charlie? Um, so there's always going to be those moments in games where you sit there and go, I, I don't know what the, what the hell, what he's thinking. But and it'll be interesting to hear what your take is, because, I, you know, you're, you said you're going to push back a little bit. And I, I do agree that there have been moments in the past week, especially that have stood out. And it's just like really head scratching. But at the same time, I, I think that the Phillies plan here all along. And I'm not certain that this is just specific to Rob Thompson. I think it's organizational. So, you know, there's multiple people involved here, but the plan all along has been to let's get to September healthy and then we'll unleash our what we have. And I think that that's part of what from I guess from a strategic standpoint, I get it and I understand it. And, you know, you want to you want to have your guys firing on all cylinders for that last month and then leading into October and and you know have as many bullets in the chamber as possible i'm on board with that idea but i do think that there's a possibility that the players meander a little bit because of that mentality and what i mean by that is is that they don't have that sense of urgency prior to later in the season because it's because the organization doesn't have that sense of urgency prior to later in the season now who knows? Maybe t the trade deadline tomorrow changes that. Maybe when you see what Dombrowski and and his team bring in here and the changes that they make, how that impacts that that, that might affect that clubhouse a little bit in that in that way. Um, but I'm not I'm not one to ever really like like you can. There are managerial decisions that will that will fire me up and, and get me frustrated. And and we had a couple this weekend, um, <laughs> including yesterday. Um, but on the whole, I, I, I tend to I tend to put struggles more on the actual people playing the game and not the people running the game. I, as do I. I. I do think that you make an interesting point. It, to me, it is about tone setting and and culture and instilling a mentality. I think that at the major league level, it really is more about that. And, and creating the trust and, and wanting to play for a guy than it is necessarily about tactical decisions. But it's hard when I, cause I, I want to be fair. And first of all, I do think you, you made an interesting point as well. And it's, it's an important one. I think to kind of restate it's not Rob alone. And people say, Oh, you're deflecting. You're, you're, you're trying to protect him. It, it, listen, Rob Thompson does not lock himself into uh, uh, his office five hours before a game 
and put together his lineup. I mean, there, yeah. there are multiple people that go into constructing that lineup and what they're going to do, not just in an isolated game, but what they're going to do over the course of four or five days. There's a lot of if then, if this happens, we will do this. If this happens, then we will adjust and do this. That, that is a collaborative effort. And, and if you think that it's just Rob saying it's my way, I have final say, God damn it. Think you're wrong. Like this is not how it works in Major League Baseball. Yeah, I would just say, I would just real quick just say for anyone who doubts that what we just said, do yourself a favor, get yourself Joe Madden's book, The Book of Joe, and read about how much influence teams have above the manager on what is happening on a daily basis with a baseball team. And there's and you'll understand why he's not in the game right now, kind of blackballed a little bit. But at the same time, Maybe it makes you feel a little bit better about, you know, okay, I got I got to blame more than just the manager here. If if I don't like the way things are going with my team, it should be a collective blame on on multiple people. Yes, the manager's the fall guy because that's his title, but that but it's more than just a manager on a daily basis. So here's what we know about Rob. There's a a genuine nature about him. He is fantastic about uh, building relationships. And, and making people, not just players, but everyone throughout the organization feel valued, feel important, feel like he genuinely cares about where they're at, what they're going through, what they care about. And that matters. That creates that, that sense of family togetherness. You know, I want to play for you. Even if I'm struggling or you do something wrong, I got your back. You got mine. That's real with, with him. Now that's something I've, I've talked about or talked to uh, multiple people about. Like it's, it's legit. Like sometimes the media, I think takes these types of storylines and they want to run with them. Like, Oh, Rob has that personal touch. And it really matters. Like everything I've heard is that that is absolutely true. And have even been given anecdotal stories about how he's gone out of his way to, to thank stadium workers and people that, you know, you just wouldn't think that the manager would really deal with. So, okay, great. That's all fine. And well, my question though, becomes this, like it worked last year. Is Rob Thompson good enough though? When, when the, the magic kind of dries out, like the magic is up. Like when you have to come down to the moment and make that that decision, and like again, a lot of this stuff is charted out. Like if this guy comes up in the seventh inning and this is the situation, we're going to go to this guy. Like it, it is not a gut and feel thing, but like there are things that you have to look at and try to evaluate and adapt on the fly and, and decide on. And like, is he good enough at that? And like that's that's what I wonder because again, this is about winning a championship. The, the other part of it, and I think that the more important part is, can he rein these guys in? And it's it's not so simple as to say like that Trey Turner dropped a pop-up yesterday or whatever happened on the, the left side of the infield yesterday. Like that ball wasn't caught because there's a lack of accountability. But one thing that I'm starting to see more and more, and it's it's been happening with the first baseman too, there's a lot of plays where... I like that you call him that now. <laughs> Yeah, the first baseman. <laughs> there, there's, we know he plays hard. He wants to win. He's a grinder, Bryce Harper, all that stuff, right? Come on, man. Like, you know that over the last couple of weeks, there's been some weird shit going on there. And I don't just mean that at bat where he didn't take the bat off his shoulder. There's been not out of the box hard a few times. Just the, the overall sense of, like, like I'm frustrated. Like, he's kind of got – he's a little surly right now, right? Like, does Rob have the ability when there is a lack of focus again and again and again, when there is a lack of a I don't want to use the word hustle, but just like when the, when the vibes aren't immaculate, like they were last year, does Rob have the ability to, to go up to one of those guys and be like, you know, I care about you, right? Well, what the fuck are you doing? Cause, cause that, I don't know. I think that right now it's like, Rob cares about me. I know that. I, I wish I was playing a little bit better, but like, does Rob have the ability to say like, Hey, listen, asshole, like let's go. I think it's a good question, Bob. And, and, you know, I will probably err on this, on the side of the manager slightly and only slightly here um, with how he handled the Trey Turner issue this past week. 
and I know everybody wanted him to, to do what he did with Turner a month ago, right? Two months ago, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, is that there, you know, he does get he does get some appreciation within that clubhouse because he sticks with guys as long as he does. But he basically gave Turner the option, you know, first he said, okay, listen, you want to take the day off? He gave Turner the option first. Turner said, no, I want to play. Okay, fine. Turner goes out there, goes 0 for 4. Then the next day he goes, all right, taking it out of your hands, I'm sitting you. All right? And that's that kind of situation. Do we know what the actual wording of the conversation is? We don't. We don't know how he speaks to Turner about it. But day one gave Turner a chance to make a decision on his own. Player decides to play. He lets him play. Second day, he says, all right, we think you need a day off. It's not, it's not in your hands anymore. We're sitting you. Then he comes back. First game back, it says you're going to be in the in your normal spot in the lineup. You're batting two, which is what he batted on Friday night. Had another offer on Friday night. Did not have a good game. At that point, it was like, all right, we're moving you down, and we moved you down to seven. So it's like it, it's almost like he he does have the ability to make these tougher decisions with these players and do the things that he has to do with them. So we see it. Right, may, we may say, okay, he did it. He waited too long to do it. But again, is that really his call to make it when he made it, or did he, you know, did it get to a point where the organization said, okay, this is now's the time? And and he obviously goes about it in a way that I think the players respect. So, in that regard, I will say yes, I do believe he does. But I don't think he's an in-your-face, grab you by the shirt collar, and tell you. You you know you suck right now. We're moving you. That kind of thing. No, and and listen, I'm not saying that he needs to be or that he should be. In fact, I think I would be surprised, and I think a lot of players would probably be turned off if that's what what he did all of a sudden because it doesn't seem to be his nature. Right. right. But I think that the point is whether or not that's his tactic or the way that he goes about it. Does he have the ability to kind of shoot that look and say, "Hey, there there's certain things that." I can deal with and that I'm understanding about there's certain things though. I'm not like, is, is there that level of, I don't need to, to be a jerk. I don't need to grip you up and let you know. I mean, like, but is there the, that was not okay. I am not happy. And you need to know it. Like at some point, no matter what your, what your methodology is, like you need to be able to convey that, Hey, there are certain things that this is not cool. And I just don't know if, if he, if he has that, maybe he does. I don't know. The, the thing is, though, that you look at it, and I think that we a lot of times we get caught up in the result, like the immediate result being indicative of, of what the manager truly is or what he means. And so, like, I'll go back to last Monday I, uh, against the Orioles, the opener. I thought that that staff uh, was, was horrible in that game in isolation. I, I thought that that was one of the most poorly managed games I've seen from a Phillies dugout in, in years. Um, and we could talk about it and people were pushing back. I don't, I guess you saw, uh, my, my interaction with Mike Missinelli, which I would love to actually talk about, uh, on, on the show at some point today, because <laughs> yeah, o- old man needs to focus on wine. Uh, I'll just say that. Um, so here, here's where I'm at. They come back and they win the next two games against the Orioles. They had to overcome deficits to do it. They show that word, that R word that we use again and again. Got the lawnmower, uh, the, the, the lawn care out there today, in case you, you hear that. So you say they're resilient. They, they, they always find a way to claw back. That shows you the way that they play for this guy. Like he had a bad game on Monday night. Don't worry about it. We're turning the page. We just won two out of three against one of the best teams in baseball. That's what this manager is all about. That's what this team is all about. But then you fast forward to the, the next series and then you lose two out of three to a Pirates team. And you don't, you don't even look like you, you could be bothered to be there. Like you, you just look disinterested, flat, stupid mistake after stupid mistake, horrible at bats after horrible at bats. Like, so is it that, you know, Rob keeps it even keel and these guys play for him and they show that resilience? Or is it that there's seven games over 500? This team is underachieved. Like, there's really no other way to say it. Like, at the end of the year, could they win the 88, 90 games that we've kind of been tracking all along? Yeah. Am I aware of their August schedule? I absolutely am. Do I know that the rest of the wild card picture, the six or seven teams that are vying for three spots, do each of those teams have flaws? Yes. Do I expect the Phillies to make the playoffs? I sure do. 
But here we are, seven games over 500 with this group, with this talent, macro level, big picture, step back. I could tell you, like, they might love them. They might play hard for them. They might be resilient. But is this really what we expected? Is this is this really – are we cool with this? Are we really cool with seven games over 500 with this roster? Which, by the way, we can talk about the roster because it's not as good as we thought it was. Like, and I'm not like, – I'm not excusing the roster because I actually think it's the roster's fault that they're only seven games over 500. But if you want to attack the manager, the results are the results. The results have been meh, very meh to this point. Yeah, I look, Bob. You, you brought up last Monday's game. Uh, you know, I remember seeing the lineup for that game and saying, "I, I guess this is a scheduled loss. This is yeah. this is the old Doc River scheduled loss, right?" I mean, I, like they were planning it that that way, and they they almost won that game. I mean, to their credit, you know, as as poorly constructed a lineup as that was, and as as head scratching as some of the, of the decisions were in that game, they still almost pulled out that game against the Orioles, right? It was, it was a hell of a. By the way, it was a hell of a series. All over. both both teams actually played pretty good on the field. I, I give you know both yeah, it was, teams credit. It was a very good it. series. Yeah. It was a very good series. Um, you know, so you, you, you know you looked at that and said, yeah. And, and then again, and, and very similarly, yesterday. I mean, here we are again, where, where you're pulling Bryson Stott out of a lineup, which doesn't make any sense to me. Again, especially against Rich Hill. I mean, you want to sit up, you want to sit Bryson Stott against a, a left-hander who throws 99. You know, <laughs> okay. I still don't agree with it, but I can understand it. Against Rich Hill? I mean, come on, man. Guy, I throw harder than Rich Hill. We're almost the same age. Like, he's older than you, Bob. I mean, that's that's the point. It's like it's crazy that that, that you're sitting your, your best hitter against a guy who he could hit. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so, again, the lineup yesterday, I, I, I didn't understand it. And... I know that I know Sanchez wasn't feeling well, right? I know he's not feeling great, and and they were pulling him out because of after five no hit innings because he had a stomach bug. I get it, but if he was well enough to pitch to begin with, at least let him get out there for the sixth inning and see what happens, because then it shortens your bullpen, then it changes the dynamics of your bullpen, and yeah, guys like Sir Anthony Dominguez has to come in there and not implode right i mean that if we're going to sit there and, and, and point fingers you got to point a finger there because that was not good that was not a good outing by him um and you can't then the bullpen then then can't blow a lead in the eighth inning up two runs right there's another situation where okay fine sanchez probably wasn't going to pitch into the eighth anyway but the bullpen can't blow that lead too so again you can't really blame the manager in that instant there but the fact of the matter is is that like that's a little overprotective in my mind and I get it. And I know that that's what they're trying to, they're trying to make sure again, everybody's healthy, but Sanchez just pitched seven innings. His last start was his last start or yeah. the start before whatever sure. it was sure. when seven innings, right. And 90, 90 some pitches, let him, let him go out to start the six. If he gives up the hit. Okay, fine. You have somebody ready to come in and, and, and that's fine, but at least give him that one more inning. That's where I, that's where. I, so there are moments in these games where I sit there and go, I don't know what the hell you're doing. Like, I don't understand well, it. Well, you look at yesterday's game with the Sanchez decision, and I tweeted at the time, as soon as I initially saw it, I was like, unless there is an injury involved here, this is inexcusable. This isn't a second guess. It's a, in real time, like, what are we doing? Independent of result, you look at that decision and say, this is insane. And, okay, if he was sick, he was sick. But, like, what does that even mean? Was, was he sick the entire day, and he kind of maintained that same level of sickness? And they just they didn't want to they didn't want to push him those last fifteen pitches, or was it? Hey, but after the fifth inning, he said like I got I got the bubble guts, man. Like I I you know no more. Like I I have to I have to go. I have to go back into the clubhouse. And I just can't do it anymore. Like we're not going to get inside the, the, the fine details of what stomach illness meant, but my guess is is that there was probably some level of you know consistency in what he was experiencing yesterday. So to me, it's sort of a convenient. I don't want to say a convenient way to excuse the decision, but it's like, oh, well, he had a stomach issue third time through the order. Like to me, it was more about the third time through the order. And it was sort of like a way to spin what happened is hey, he has a stomach issue. Well, see, here's the other thing. I, 
I don't ever. I don't think Rob is always forthcoming. Well, I should say I don't yeah, think. I, I know. I know so. Rob is not always forthcoming with us, right? When he speaks about the speaks about the team, he sometimes is, but for, he's not always forthcoming. And if third time through the order wasn't an issue, the last five start, three four starts that Christopher Sanchez had, I don't understand why it's an issue against the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? So maybe his stomach really did hurt, right? So, like, so, I, I, I just think I that I I think that was something that he just kind of threw out there as well. You know, it's like we had this. He had this issue. We didn't want to push him. We knew he was going to pitch through it, but we didn't really want him. But you know, when you go after that last, and you know how sometimes it is with starting pitchers, Bob, that last inning that they're going to go out there, and you know it's going to be their last inning. You basically tell them, "Hey, listen, empty the tank. Go out there, throw your hardest, throw your best stuff until you have nothing left, and then we'll get you out of there." And maybe you look at the guy and say, okay, look, he gave us five innings when he shouldn't have even pitched today because of the of a stomach bug. Let's not force him to go out there and and you know empty that on the sixth in the sixth inning. Otherwise, he might empty something all over the pitcher's mouth, right? I mean, like maybe that's the thought process, right? I so so I you know and and he conveniently says, well, it's yeah yeah that plus fifteen pitches third time through the order. I think he's just saying those things. I think those are just rote responses by the manager. So so like part of me wants to say okay, but part of me wants to say just let him start the inning and see what happens. If he gives up a hit, gives up a base runner, fine. Then we can take him out. Have a bullpen guy ready to go. I just think that the message that you're sending when it's just an automatic pulling him in the fifth after five innings is the wrong message. That's where that's where my disagreement comes in with the, with the move. Well, at the end of the day, I think win or lose, the most important thing was that Josh Harrison was able to get some hacks yesterday. So big. It's huge. I mean, I think that really moving forward for the Phillies, that's going to be important. That's actually what I, I look back at this game. Like, there are certain things that it's not about the game. It's not about one game. It's about patterns. It's about things I see again and again. And whether it's front office, whether it is the bench, like, I – the stop thing, like uh, Matt Gelb, uh, you know, tweeted, well, listen, he's played 125 of 130 innings since the All-Star break. I guess they're playing like the next 17 days or whatever. Like, that's all fine and well, but there are certain guys in that lineup that that are removed with more frequency than other guys. And, and some of those guys that stay in the lineup day in, day out probably should be getting that treatment. But, like, we've talked about Nick Castellanos a ton on this show, right? Yeah. Like, and you know, we've applauded his, his bounce back, his, you know, ability to, to be an all-star and what he's done for this team from an offensive standpoint for a few months and, and kudos to him for that. But he's also just wrapping up here, arguably, I mean, without really like going into the numbers, probably the worst offensive month I can ever remember from a Philadelphia Philly who played every day. I mean, he, he's been, he's been horrible. Um, and it doesn't mean he's going to continue to be, although I, I do have some concerns. I mean, these bats are just non-competitive. He's not hitting into tough luck. I mean, he's, he's lost at the moment. Yeah. He's completely lost Bob. And, and it's, it's since the 4th of July. I mean, if you really want to look at it, so it's, it's the span of, now 20, well, I guess 27 days if you count today. So 26 days, really. Um, he's just been not good. Um, and if, if I'm going to I'll pull it out, it's really, really bad with the numbers. If you go from the 4th of July to the 30th of July, so 22 games, 21 starts. He had that one pinch hit appearance. Yeah. It's 94 plate appearances. He's hitting 122 with a 160 on base, 349 OPS. He has struck out 35 times in 94 plate appearances. He's walked twice. That's that's not good. That's no. really re- now granted, again, when we cut when we break up seasons, right? Guys are going to have 90 to 100 at bat stretches that are not great. But they're usually not this bad. Right, because the converse is never, you know, that good either. Right, so yeah, because he's not going to have a twenty-two game stretch where he hits seven (laughs) forty-seven. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) exactly. So this is really, really bad. So yeah, if you're talking about a guy who maybe needs, you know, that that option to sit and then sit and then maybe you know get back, 
that this is a guy that needs that. And and they've you're right, they've continued to trot him out there. And and that's been a, a question that I've had. Again, it becomes an organizational question, uh, more so than it does a you know a managerial question. I, again, I think that these are decisions that are multifaceted with multi pe- multiple people involved, not just the manager, as you pointed out. But why let it go? Why let it go on this long? Like get, nip this in the bud before you what, before it gets worse. Let's let's dive further into this. There's this idea that if you sit down Nick Castellanos for two days, that it's going to fix it. Like that that's going to automatically be the cure-all. Like, okay, well, he sat down for 48 hours. Now he's back in the box and he's not swinging at sliders that are four feet from his bat. I don't know that the, the fix is that simple. And and there's this there's a couple of different things going on here. I think that people feel like, okay, you know, if he's not hitting, just move him down in the order, just get him out of the lineup, on to the next thing. At some point, I think the Phillies are looking at this and saying, if Nick Castellanos does not hit for us. Yeah, we're just not going to overcome it. Like you, there isn't always a plan B. There isn't. It's not always next man up. Like you need him to hit, and if he's not going to hit, you can't get away with it this year because Bryce Harper is not twenty-two. Bryce Harper, you know, postseason Bryce Harper. They don't have Reese Hoskins there. It's going to pop 30, 35 home runs from the right side. Trey Turner is not that guy. At least not this season. Kyle Schwarber is a one eighty hitter. Like, they don't have enough offensive firepower to mask Nick Castellanos being this guy again. They just yeah. are not going to overcome it. And they know that. And so that's why I think that they are taking a very measured approach about what do we do? Because this is a very, very volatile situation. Yeah, and it's it's interesting that you say that, Bob. I'm glad you did because, you know, you know me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who's, you know – I, I really buy into the lineup stuff, right? I mean, we we've talked about this many times in the past, but when you're when you have a team like this team right now is going, and you have guys like Schwarber not hitting, Turner not hitting, Romuto not hitting, Castellanos not hitting, Harper not hitting for power, you have five your five big dudes not producing, like what do you want the lineup to be like what is it supposed to be like those are the guys that are going to that are going to make or break what happens for you as a team it doesn't matter what are you going to do bat them five six seven eight nine like because is that what you're supposed to do that bryson stott lead off or put him in the two hole right you get that bryson stott at bat what do you think is going to happen on the back end when you get down to the six spot? Exactly. Do you think that Nick, like, and I think Nick would probably tell you this. Like, this isn't a shot at him. Do you think that Nick's at bat right now is going to be better with him hitting fifth or sixth than it is because he's not hitting second or fourth? Right. I, I mean, come on. This is about pitch recognition. It's about trust. It's about like there is. This is not to me. At at some point, it's not about. A, it's not a physical or a mechanical thing. Like, certainly, you see these swings and you go. Oh my God, you know, like he's flailing, he's chasing. Like, yeah, you, you can break that down to mechanics, but you know that this is like a, this is a confident second guessing type thing going on with him right now. And like my perspective, the reason why this is such a fragile situation is because all you have to do is go back to last year. There's a very recent track record that I think is there to let that doubt creep in. Like, you know, at some point over the past few weeks, like he has thought to himself, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for him, but I have to imagine if it were me, I guess the fairest way to say this would be if it were me and I were putting together the bats he's putting together right now there, I, I would absolutely be saying to myself like, Oh shit, here we go again. And I, I have to imagine that there's some degree of that going on with him right now. Yeah. I it, it's, it in all honesty, Bob, this is, this stretch has been even worse than anything worse, from last way year. Way worse, way worse. And, and let's be honest about it; it's it's worse than what it was last year. I mean, there, there were, I mean, there was a, there were a couple of stretches last year where he actually was pretty good. Like if you go back and look at his, go go, go through his game by game from twenty twenty two, and you'll find he started the season well. Then he had that he hit that rut in like May May into June, and then he, but it was never this bad. And then he rebounded and had a nice start to the you know second half, and then he had the injury, the oblique injury, yeah. missed a month, and when he came back, just he didn't. He had nothing when he came back. Um, but so he did have like extended stretches of good hitting last year, that was surrounded by inconsistency, and it was disappointment, right, because of that. He was never this bad 
So this is even worse than last year. I, look, I, I I don't know what the solution is. I mean, yes, you could sit. You're right. You can sit him for a game or two, but sometimes you know you just try. You're just hoping to find something that will help clear the air. You know, you know, let him clean clear his head out. Just work in the cage for a couple of days, whatever the case might be. And you hope he comes back just like you did with Turner. And you hope they come back and they figure it out because they have, you know, a track record of success in the past as well. But if they don't, then they don't. And then this is what you're stuck with. This is what you have. Because what are your options right now? Are you going to play, keep playing, you know, Josh Harrison and Mundo Sosa, Garrett Stubbs and Johan Rojas? Like, is that going to make your lineup better playing those guys? Is it, it going to make your lineup better to basically invert it and put, the, yeah, the, the yeah. order at the top. I no, none of that changes anything. Yeah, if you you got to get Nick out of lineup, you got to get Trey Turner out of lineup. You know, JT, these guys, they got to move them down. They got to move them down. Like you want to move down everybody. You can't hit everybody eighth. You know, and <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what that's what they're running into. So I hear you, and your your point's well taken. That yeah, like I know that you lean into lineup construction and how important it is. But when you have pieces, this many pieces going this poorly all at the same time, you can jumble it any way you want to. Like you can sit at home and be pissed when you get the lineup at, on Twitter at three thirty in the afternoon and say, "What are they doing?" There's a lot going on here right now. Like these aren't little mini slumps. These aren't guys trying to fun- like break a funk. <laughs> this is there are some high level problems going on here, and you know trying to piece this thing together where you're trying to win a game that night, but you're also trying to unlock whatever's going on with multiple players all at once it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough task and that kind of does swing back to the coaching side of things one of the other people that's become a a pretty easy target here um has has been the the hitting coach um you know kevin long is is taking a lot of a lot of heat online at least uh, you know and guess my question is to what what degree is that fair? Because I think there's probably two schools of thought here. You have veteran hitters, guys, as, with you, as you said, track records. They have track records. Really, should the hitting coach be responsible for this type of, of regression and these, these prolonged slumps? But my question is, and like certainly you see that, that Bryson Stott has taken that step and to what – what end does he get credit for that? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know where you give the hitting coach credit and where you say like, this is his fault. But w- what I am curious about is when I look at a guy like Nick Castellanos right now, I look at a guy like Trey Turner, because I do think that some of their struggles are, are similar. Why can't they get these guys to, I guess, patch up the leaks, like patch up the obvious leaks. Like I look at, at Trey Turner, for instance, and there's supposed to be this great rapport between these two. Trey Turner is, is taking everything on the outer half of the plate and just, he's just pulling off of everything. Like low and away slider, outer half, fastball, he's getting beat. He's fouling off a lot of pitches that sit middle, that get elevated, that he should be turning on. Like, and teams just keep going away, away, away. Like the inner half of the plate does not even exist with him most of the time. And, like, there just doesn't seem to be – like, certainly they've talked about this, and certainly they've tried to implement adjustments, but there's no there's no result. Like, and it just looks like the same at bat again and again. Like, do they need it? Like, do you wonder almost, like, do you just need a different voice? Like, you, I don't – and I don't think so. Like, I do – I feel like it's on the player. Like, there, there ha- this information has to have been communicated – They've had to have these conversations. You either do it or you don't, but man. Yeah, I, I I probably would, had I not read Matt Gelb's, I don't know if you read Matt Gelb's article last week, and if, if you did. haven't, um, for the listeners, if they haven't, go to The Athletic. I think it came out last Wednesday, um, and the, the headline was um, something about what the Phillies' big five hitters have to do. Um, and he does an interview with Kevin Long. And, you know, one of the first things, like one of the first things that's, that's said is that Kevin Long's current job is more of a therapist than as a mechanic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, basically, you're not going to overhaul a veteran's swing or a veteran's approach in the middle of a season. Like, those are things that you've, you work on in the offseason, right? Because panic panic isn't going isn't gonna to be a thing that plays in a, in a clubhouse. Um, 
but I thought, and I'm pulling it up, and that's why I'm kind of stalling a little bit, but one of the things that um, Kevin Long was quoted as saying, and I felt was really kind of important to, to understand, is he says, I think when you have that many superstars in your lineup, it's really easy to get caught up in, quote, I have to be this, I have to do that, instead of just being one of the nine guys. And I think that that's kind of important, because basically what he's saying is, these guys are going up to the plate with the idea that they have to get a big hit every time, that they have to be the star player every time they come up. And that's what's, that's what's hurting them, that they're trying to do things that star players have to do mm-hmm. rather than just, hey, pass the bat and somebody will get the, the big hit, whoever it is it, it is in this, in this given moment. Um, and then he goes through individually and talks about those five players who we've been talking about and everybody's talking about in this lineup. And he, he identifies issues with each of them that he thinks that they can fix that are not mechanical. They are exactly just a, like the mental approach to, to what they're doing. And it was really fascinating to read that. And so when I see that and I hear Kevin Long saying these things publicly and, and identifies like what it is with each individual guy, then it tells me that he he has the right idea with these players, and he 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 knows what they need to do. It eventually comes down to the players doing these things, right. and they're not doing it. And so, therefore, do you blame the hitting coach? Does someone else come in and just start cracking skulls? Is that what, is that what they need? I don't think today's player responds to that. No, I don't either. So what do you? So what is Kevin Long supposed to do other than what he's doing and trying to be that guy that? understands what they're going through and maybe tries to play a little bit more of a psychologist role with these guys. Do you think it's fair to say that in sports, the process can be correct. The the thought can be correct. And sometimes the result just simply does not correlate. Like Kevin Long then is doing the right thing, but the result just isn't there. And Unfortunately, this is a results-oriented business, and at some point, if it doesn't click, whether it be – I don't think it'll be this season, but you just say, hey, you know, we know. We know you did everything you could. You you were great. This just isn't working out. We we just have to make a change. I mean, that could be. That could well be. Um, But, like, there are things – it was interesting, you know, that story story came out last week, and, you know, he was talking about – Kyle Schwarber, you know, talking about saying, oh, he needs to focus more on hitting the ball to center field. Right. Like, but go go back through the middle. Don't try and pull everything because when you're pulling everything, it's you know, it it, it hurts his uh it, it hurts his game. And it was funny because I had we were in Cleveland and we we're watching his at bats and he was hitting the, a lot of fly balls to center field. He was making outs, wasn't getting hits, but he was making outs to center field. And then you get the on Friday night, he hits the home run. Where's he hit the home run? Dead center field. So you're seeing that there is an idea here. There is an approach that they're trying to to fix. And and it's it's evident in certain spots. Does it mean it's gonna it's gonna translate to success going forward? We won't know until we actually see the results, but you can see that there is a process and these guys are following this process. I, I, some of them anyway. So, you know, we, I think that I think that you have to – it's still a wait-and-see kind of thing. I know it's kind of hard to say wait-and-see as we're approaching August 1st tomorrow. But if this is something that they were just talking about last week and you're starting to see it in a couple spots, say, okay, maybe it'll finally come through. Who knows? Look, Turner wasn't awful. Saturday night, I thought Saturday was a good, good, good. Uh, he had a good approach. He had the one single that was robbed from him. He had the double down the line. He had a good at bat where he walked. So like that was an encouraging game. Didn't really follow it up yesterday. Never does. Hasn't yet. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's like actually what's funny because we, we talk about the ninth inning. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, was it the tenth inning? Whatever. They um, you get late into the game and they have a chance to to take the lead with a sack fly and. Trey Turner, like over overlooking like the whole debacle, is that Trey Turner doesn't doesn't hit a fly ball deep enough or make good enough contact to score a run in a situation where they should be able to score a run. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I hear you, and like progress is not linear, but it is hard for me to sit here. Like, I understand it's hard for me to be like, yeah, yeah, you know what, Trey did show signs on Saturday night. There were some good things because they've never been able to stack and. 
I, I, I don't know. I, I just refuse to believe that, you know, it's hard to play here and that there's big expectations. And like, is that now a thing in Philadelphia? If we sign you to a, a 20 million, $30 million deal that you just get the first year, because it's, it's hard to, it's like hard to do it here. <laughs> like, is that now like become no, no. like a thing that has to happen? Like, well, you know, it's funny, Bob, because I, I think that if you go back in the past, and this is where this is where I'm having a hard time with this as an ex, as an as an explanation. I don't want to say excuse because it's not an excuse. I think that he's given. So I'm going to say it as an explanation. Something that we're that we're talking about, and other people are talking about, that it's so hard to play in Philadelphia. If I go back, if we go back and think about it, like back in the day, and it's not even that long ago. Let's even go like 10, 15 years ago. It was harder to play here because the media held your feet to the fire. Like you were under constant pressure in the in the public through the media. Today, let's be honest, is anybody in the media really pushing hard against this team? Like, is there people showing up like asking these guys what what the hell, why they suck all the time? Uh, I mean, and really that's that's why the Phillies aren't good because the media doesn't hold them accountable. Well, that's what I'm saying. My point, my point is, is really how hard is it to play here? Yeah, people are going to bitch and complain. And if you spend your entire time on social media, then maybe it is in your head that 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 it's hard to play in this city, right? But then you can find that anywhere. Yeah, that's every fan base. That's, that's every fan base is like that on social media, right? So it doesn't matter. It doesn't make it hard. So I think that's a narrative that 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 people like you and I and and anybody who talks on the radio or whatever that, that, you know, other podcasts, I think maybe that's a narrative that we might push a little bit, but it can't be that hard. <laughs> Trey Turner went over four and he's, oh, here comes San Filippo. <laughs> he's, he's going to ask me, did you, did you want to swing at that slider that was three feet off the plate in that spot or, or not really? Uh, I mean, that's I just thing. don't think like, I can deal with it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, we're not down. Like we're, we're pretty, I think we're pretty even keeled with these guys in comparison to what it used to be. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think we make it all that hard on these guys. And, and that's that I could understand it. Like if that was the thing that was constant, like, it's not like your columnists in the inquirer writing every day that, you know, Trey Turner, they with the Philly should undo the Trey Turner, wish they can undo the Trey Turner deal after, after five months. Like, I mean, you're not, you're not seeing that column anywhere. You know, no one's saying that kind of stuff in, in the papers. I mean, the- well, yes, but I'm saying I dedicated an entire midday show to that. Uh, I think last week. So. Yeah, so I know they did. Yeah, but whatever. But um, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think that you have that kind of pressure anymore that you maybe had right before. I don't know. I, I I think the guy. I think the guy is getting his ass kicked by the sport, and I think it's a tough sport to begin with, and it's the sport is just getting it. Well, one thing I hope that they, and I'm sure they have made this point, is that as the calendar is about to flip to August here, like you have the opportunity to rewrite this thing. Like what happens the next two months will more than more than completely overshadow what's happened to this point. Like, yes. Trey Turner, you hit 300 the last two months of the season. This team makes the playoffs. They make some noise once they're there. Hey, Trey was just getting acclimated to the new city. This is a tough year for him. I know moving forward that Trey Turner is is still one of the 30 best players in Major League Baseball. You 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 just turn the page. Nick Castellanos still has decent numbers here. It's been a mess this month, but like, hey, Nick, if you go back and, and be the guy that you were in April, May, June, really good year, man. Nice job. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kyle, yeah, we know you hit a buck 90, but you hit 44 home runs again. We'll take that. Like there, there's a lot here that, that can be rectified and, and resolved moving forward. But I do think that if you're a fan right now and you're sitting a half game out of the wild card spot and you, you really just, you stumbled this weekend, you blew an opportunity this weekend to win three games against a, a, a bad team. You're probably starting to wonder like, can these guys do it? And can they do it this year? Like, do they have the ability to sort of turn this thing around? And they, they need to like Trey Turner has to be better than he's been. Like the Phillies can get to the playoffs with Trey Turner being this guy. Like they can drag Trey Turner into October, but like they can't win if he's going to continue to do this once they're there. They they need they need these guys to be better, and they have two months to to be good enough to give themselves a shot. And then when the lights go on in October, they they've got to do it. Um, 
we haven't even talked about the trade deadline and I don't like, I just don't really think we're going to get to it like in, in too much depth. Like we have five minutes here, but I, I do. Real well, I was quick. surprised, Bob. I was really surprised that a lot of the names that the Phillies were initially attached to are either already traded or are now being talked about with other teams that aren't yeah. the Phillies. I'm really kind of curious as to where this is going because you think that it's, it's possible that they a kind of like just make one move and it's like a, a patch move because they just look at this team and say, there, there should be enough here. And if these guys, as we've been saying, don't do what they're supposed to do, it doesn't matter. And if they do what they're supposed to do, we could probably win. Or do you think that they're kind of maybe just lying in the weeds and they might make some, some, boom like crazy move like here here it comes like you didn't see this coming like the silence is so weird that you almost wonder Ooh, their name's not mentioned anywhere like if you go you look around and you start reading all the nationals the national guys and are yeah. talking about what they're hearing and everything you don't hear the phillies mentioned at all yeah and, and so it's 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 either one of those two it's it's either they look at it and say we we believe that this is a team that can do what it what it needs to do based off of what we have currently on the team on the roster and we think we can win with this and part of me is part of me is starting to lean towards that being the right approach here bob mm-hmm. um because why why risk giving up on the future on on future players that you like when you are uncertain that this group is going to get their act together um, but part of me also thinks that they're gonna they're gonna do that all in move at some point, either today or tomorrow, and and shock the world. Um, look, I've said it before that when this team is as currently constructed, when this team is clicking, they're they're better than everybody in the nationally except Atlanta, and I I stand by that. I think that they're. They're pitching, although Nola was shit over the weekend, but Wheeler Wheeler was really really good. Yeah, um, really. Uh, you know that was a great sign to see. Um, and Sanchez has been really good. I mean, he's been a, a pleasant. He's been more of a pleasant surprise than Bailey Falter was last year filling in for Zach Wheeler. I mean, that's how yeah, that's how awesome. that's how good Sanchez has he's been. been. Their second best pitcher since he's been up here. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's recalled. He's been their second best guy. And and, and so like I, I think that the pitching is there for a playoff run. So yeah, I think they can still be that team as currently constructed. So that's why I'm I'm kind of conflicted with do you just go with what you got and, and see what happens? And if you don't do it this year, then you make the adjustments going into next season, or do you do you make that big, you know, earth shattering move that that could either be the best move of the off season or our best move of the trade deadline, or it ends up blowing up in your face, but cause yeah. it's one or the other in that case, right? There's, if you make that move, it either becomes the best thing for your team or it makes things even worse. So yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen. This is kind of a, I'm kind of confounded with, with the, with the Phillies at, at the trade deadline right now. I'm 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 with you. I I've said it a month ago. I I've always felt like they were going to do something that that made you say, "Whoa!" Um, this silence actually, I think, is is sort of making me feel that even more. But if they they don't really take significant action here, like I've always worked under the assumption that this team is d- designed to do it this year. They they have to go all in. They have to try with this group. The window's closing, and I think that to some degree, all of that's true. But they might be telling themselves, if Trey Turner is not Trey Turner, if Nick Castellanos is not Nick Castellanos, and this is Bryce this year, and he's been good, but if this is this is it, we just we don't have enough. So what's so what's the point? Or like, or maybe they look at it and say like these guys are going to be these guys, and and that will be enough. And so we don't need to burn. Like there are two different ways to look at it. I, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. Um, Makes two of us. All right. Well, we actually do have to cut it there. Um, do you have a one last thing? We could probably we could probably do it in two minutes or less if you have it. I, I do, and it's okay. it, 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 I'm going to throw this at you. I'm going to throw a prediction at you. The other two teams that are in the wild card with the Phillies are the Cubs and the Padres. 
Um, am, am, am I nuts, or or do you see this? No, because I mean Strowman's actually taken a pretty big step back lately, but Strowman this season has been good mostly, uh, and I like Steele a lot. Uh, the starting pitching there is not bad. Their run differential is actually better than like, pretty much everyone in that race, I believe. And the NL Central, at you know, it stinks. Like the Cardinals are, I know they've already played a lot, but like the Cardinals stink, the Pirates stink. Like that is not a very good division. Um, I don't think that the Reds or the Brewers are electric by any means. Like I don't think that they're running away. So like, yeah, I could go for that. And the the Padres are what five games out right now. Well, they're yeah four four and a half behind the Phillies, five total. Yeah, we've talked about the Giants month of August and what that looks like. We've talked about the Marlins. They've they've been a mess in the second half. They struggled with the Detroit this past weekend. Um, yeah, I could go for that. I'll, I'll, I'm actually in on that. I'll go Phillies, Cubs, and Padres with you. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned run differential. Right now, the top six teams in run differential in the National League are Braves one, Dodgers two, Padres three, Cubs four, yeah, Giants five, Phillies six. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, Cubs are only four out in their division. <clears throat> they they might actually not even you know I say they're going to be a wild card, but I could see a very real possibility where they catch. Cincinnati and Milwaukee yeah. and actually win the division and then maybe somebody else gets that last wild card and we're talking about the Padres and the Phillies playing yeah. in the in the wild card in the first round so anyway that's just my that that's my one last thing I, I think that the Cubs and the Padres I think there are three teams currently right now sitting outside of a playoff spot in the National League who are all going to make it ahead of three teams that are currently in it all right well for Anthony Sanfilippo I'm Bob Wankel Thank you for tuning in to Cross Stop. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you get your shows. And we will talk to you on Friday.